listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need right now. Oh, look at this. They, they've locked themselves in the luxury box. episode of the elitist cinema geekly's aew podcast it is anthony lewis and nick montez and we're back to talk more aew dynamite on tnt episode four the beginning of week four of the wednesday night wars nick everybody is is out in the trenches taking their shots back and forth uh so far it has been a fairly lopsided war but uh who knows is it really a war anymore at this point I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, the, I, the 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 numbers won't come out for a few more hours as as we record this. But uh, I feel like both shows are gonna. I mean, both shows have been taking small hits in the numbers every single week. Which uh, when I was talking about it on what comes next, I said I thought it was uh, a little concerning because I thought both shows are good, and usually when both shows are good, people watch them. They don't like you know disappear in smaller and smaller you know amounts every single week but both shows have dropped from their first weeks up until now so i i consider that a little worrying because to me if a show is good that word of mouth travels and and more people watch it but uh this week will be particularly hampering because i believe there was a world series game and it was also uh opening day of the nba so, yeah, I imagine there's going to be, uh, the numbers will be even lower than in previous weeks. So we'll see how things turn out. But at least in terms of just these two shows battling each other for audience, so far it's not been much of a war. You are correct. Uh, episode four of Dynamite starts out, like, real quick. Like, I've never seen a wrestling show start this quick before. Uh, I've seen I've seen shows start without a cold open. I've seen shows start immediately with entrances for a match, but I don't think I've ever seen a show start with the match in the ring and the announcer announcing the match and then we begin. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen that. Which uh, I wasn't sure how I felt about it because I think entrances are such a big part of uh, pro wrestling now, and uh, it's like an opportunity for characters to. Uh, present themselves and uh, you know things like that to the uh, to the television audience but on the other hand this was really different as well and different can be good 
Uh, I think largely this was done. My feeling was that they sat down earlier in the week or earlier today or whatever, and they timed out this show. And they're like, oh my God, we have so much stuff packed into this show. We got here. How do we cut some corners to fit everything in on time? And I think maybe that's why we got the presentation we got this week, but it felt different. That's for sure. Um, we are still in the luxurious state of Pennsylvania, uh, although this time in Pittsburgh. Uh, last week we were in Philadelphia. Uh, and we begin with a semifinal match in the AEW Tag Team Championship Tournament, Private Party and the Lucha Brothers. Uh, I. I note here that I thought it was odd that the show opened with the announcements in the ring, but I quickly forgot about that because this match was ludicrous. I, I don't even know. I have I have a small paragraph here of the notes I took for this match, Nick, but I simply just could not list everything. It, there, it was too much. I would have had to like pause this show. I would have to wait until today, downloaded it from somewhere, paused it so I could like wrote down what happened and then continue playing it. Trying to take notes on this thing live was impossible. Uh, I wrote here fast open, but the Lucha brothers slow things down and then they weren't slowed down for long. Uh, they launch Mark Quinn into the air and he hits this massive drop kick. Uh, great double team assist combos is what I wrote because there was just a bunch of them and I couldn't list all of them. Uh, a massive Topecon hero from Quen to the outside. They hit the Silly String and the 450 Splash on Pentagon for a two. Then I just wrote down, Nick, Unreal Combos. Yes. Uh, my my particular favorite was when they hoisted Isaiah Cassidy onto Mark Quen's shoulders, and then Penta assisted uh, Phoenix into a drop kick. He dropped kicked Quen. Quen flew backwards, and that gave... Or he drop kicked Cassidy... Cassidy flew backwards, and because he was on Quinn's shoulders, he gave his own partner a poison Hurricane Rana. Uh, just crazy shit like that. Lots of it. <laughs> Pentagon driver for a two. Uh, Isaiah Cassidy hits a slingshot into the ring into a crucifix bomb for a two. I actually wrote here, might be too much. I thought... There are two things that I thought hindered this match from getting a, a much higher score. I love this match. I gave it a great score. Uh, spoilers. But uh, a couple of times, some of their ambitiousness, because they, they did several ambitious-looking things, and sometimes it paid off and looked really good, and sometimes it didn't look horrible, but you could tell it didn't go how exactly how they wanted it to. And the other thing that I thought was a hindrance is that it, that I think they actually did too much like, it was happening so quick, it was hard to take in everything. And that's saying something, because I've seen a lot of, like, sprinty spot fest before where I'm able to keep up pretty good, but even in this one, I thought it was straining. But that may have been because I was trying to take notes at the same time. Uh, Quen hits a huge shooting star press for a two. They hit the gin and juice on Ray Phoenix, but Ray Phoenix was not legal, so they try to hit it on Pentagon, but uh, when Pentagon gets hurt, can run it off the top rope... Instead of flying into a cutter, he lands on Isaiah Cassidy and hits a Mexican destroyer. And the Lucha Brothers hit the package pile driver double stomp on Quen for the win, and they advance to the finals. What did you think of this absolutely bonkers opening match, Nick? 
Holy shit. I, right? <laughs> this is another star-making performance for uh, Private Party. Like, I am excited for the event. Yeah, they keep having the these. The oh, my God. They they definitely belong in the upper echelon of the tag division. And even in the loss, they looked like... It was amazing. I I think I wrote something dog or something down, like an overdog... Uh, overdog. Uh, foot stomp. That private party performed on the Lucha Bros. That was impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, when Phoenix did that run across the top rope, that was amazing. I agree with you. I think they put in a little bit too much, but I think they were really trying to show off private party in this matchup. And obviously the Lucha Bros are good or loss either way. But they, I mean, you call, at least to this point, you called half of for the uh, tag team. Yeah. Um, so what would you give this opener? I gave it Oh, what was that? You cut off real quick. Oh, I'm sorry. I said I gave it four stars. Oh, okay. Uh, I went four and a half. I think this could have been higher had it not been for the quirks uh, that I noted. But Grapple uh, is at a 3.95. So they're right next to you, Nick, and not too far off from me. Uh, Just a a crazy opening match. Um, There is one thing I want to address real quick. And this is just an opinion. This isn't stating a fact or anything, but there were, of course, a lot of people who really did not like that match on the internet. Uh, And I see a lot of similar refrains about, um, like, selling and storytelling in matches. And I just, I don't care for... I mean, I know, like, if you're a traditionalist... That's how it is in wrestling. That's how you were brought up. That's the wrestling you watched. Like, uh, matches, if it's a good match, then it'll it'll tell a story with the moves that they're doing. Or, you know, this move will lead to another. Or you work a body part, or you work a hold, or this leads to that. And you got to sell the moves and things like that to, you know, for a long time. So the, the fans really let things sink in. And... That is certainly a way to do it. I'm not diminishing that and saying that's not a proper way to have a match. But, uh, you know, to me, wrestling, for all of the things that it encompasses, like, you know, it's a lot of things. It's stunt work. It's comic books. It's uh, theater. It's a lot of things coming together. But, ultimately, pro wrestling is supposed to be a fake sport. And... A sport, if you watch any sports, uh, even combat sports, they tell stories for the fights, but they're stories that lead into the fight. The fights themselves don't really tell much of a story past, you know, here's the story that got them to the fight. Let's see who wins the fight. Um, You know, real fighting, there's no selling. Have you ever watched UFC? Nobody's selling in UFC. The only time you see somebody sell is if they get knocked out. And they're not choosing to sell. They've been knocked out. Uh, so there's no selling there. There's not real... There's not even real any any real storytelling in fights either. And that goes for most other sports. Football, basketball, baseball. Like, you can tell stories based on past histories. You can tell players' personal stories. But, um, you know, the actual stories of games usually just come down to who wins and who loses. And those... Things are very, very, very important in sports. They're the most important things. Uh, 
So when I see a match like Private Party and uh, Lucha Brothers, to me, as long as I get the base story of who wins and who loses, and as long as that is important, I'm happy. And to me, the backstory of this match is they're in a tournament to crown the first ever tag team champions, and those tag titles are the most important things in tag team wrestling. So that's all the story I need as somebody who likes sports. Now, I'm not saying that if you want more out of your pro wrestling, if you want uh, deeper laden stories within the matches, uh, you know, I agree. I think some of the Kenny Okada matches uh, were rich with those, where they their matches were built around things that happened to them in prior matches with each other. Uh, you can't really do that in a new promotion with teams who have never faced each other before. Uh, but, you know, that's the kind of deeper, richer storytelling I like. I think, for the most part, people are just saying it was too fast and they didn't sell any moves. But, you know, I'm okay with, you know, now that most people have seen real fights and they see that there's no selling in real fights, I'm okay with people, you know, not hitting like a big move and then laying on the mat for, you know, a minute selling the big move. Yeah, I don't need to see that anymore. To me, that's, uh, to me, that's too much in the past. And, uh, it's, it's not for me. Like I, I don't go back and, and revel in 1980s wrestling anymore. I just, you know, I, I liked it when I was a kid, but it's something I don't care for anymore. So, uh, I'm not saying either or is right or wrong, but I did see a lot of people saying that that match wasn't pro wrestling and I couldn't disagree more. Uh, and, th- and the most important thing, Nick, I would say is that you can't deny the crowd, uh, the crowd paid tickets to go see this show, and they love that match. So, at the end of the day, and that's... I loved it. Yeah, well, and I loved it as well, but at the end of the day, even if you hate it, you can't deny that it wasn't a big overmatch that the crowd absolutely adored, because they did. Uh, exactly. And I think I think that people get a little too caught up in trying to, like, yeah. keep wrestling. It's got to be a certain thing. It's yes. so... Yes different with each match and that's what makes it exciting you get a little bit of everything when you watch a good wrestling shows yeah and you got that with this show exactly um i was just thinking about this guy the other day and they showed a wardlow hype video this is that guy they showed beating up dudes on a on a rooftop at like all out for his hype video and then he just disappeared and i'm like i wonder what happened is that guy still signed are they bringing him in and they brought in a wardlow is coming video Still not sure how I feel about the name Wardlow, but, you know, I wasn't sure how I felt about the name Goldberg either, and that guy became a megastar, so who am I to say? Uh, we get an update on Christopher Daniels after he received that package pile driver on the ramp uh, last week, uh, courtesy of Pentagon Jr., and they note that Christopher Daniels would be out six to eight weeks. So he suffered, they say he suffered a stinger, uh, but he is recovering and he's going to be okay. He did not suffer a stinger in real life as a storyline stuff. But uh, good storyline stuff. I'm glad if they stretcher somebody out, they're not back the next week. Unlike some other places. <laughs> uh, next match, the final semifinal match in the AEW Tag Team Championship Tournament. SCU against the Dark Order. They uh, air like a Dark Order hype video, Nick. I don't know about you, but I thought the music in their video package was better than their actual theme song. 
It is. Like, I think they should have just come out to this this package music. Uh, I thought it was pretty solid back and forth uh, tag match heading into the first picture-in-picture break where Dark Order maintains control. Uh, Crowd was, you know, kind to SCU, but still not particularly into uh, Dark Order. When we come back, the Inner Circle arrives with tickets. And this, of course, gets the crowd buzzing. They're climbing the the stands into a uh, into a private luxury box full of popcorn and, of course, bubbly. Uh, where they are where they are watching the match. Uh, the one thing that I will point to that I did not like here was that uh, the crowd was heavily distracted when Frankie Kazarian, the good guy, got the hot tag and was running wild. So he was doing his big House of Fire hot tag and the crowd was not paying any attention to it because they were still looking at the inner circle who maybe they should have come in like before the break. Like they should have shown them arriving just before they go to break. And then the crowd could have gotten it out of their system when they came back. Uh, every now and again, they <laughs> I thought this was funny. I thought Jericho was on fire tonight. Every once in a while they cut to like the inner circle and he's like, go dark order. <laughs> uh, what a heel. Like, nobody likes Dark Order. And Jericho's like, woo! Uh, you know, he was, uh, if you saw uh, Fight for the Fallen, Jericho, of course, was a minion of the Dark Order, uh, at least in disguise. And uh, I'll say this, Nick. After they come back from the break here, they do the impossible. This crowd gets into this match. Like, they start caring about what happens with Dark Order and SCU? Uh, Frankie Kazarian and Stu Grayson are doing this, like, uh, running back and forth strike exchange where one chases after the other. And Stu goes to, you know, hits Frankie and goes to the other corner and Frankie's following him in. But this time Stu just dives over the top rope and does a crazy, uh, uh, crazy flip dive onto Scorpio Sky. Uh, Uno hits uh, Scorpio with like a ripcord flatliner for a two. Uh, SCU hits an assisted DDT on the apron to Uno. And then they hit the SCU later on Stu Grayson for the win. And SCU advances to the finals. What, what did you think of uh, this match? I thought it picked up real, real good after the break. I agree with that because I kind of was in the same boat. I didn't feel like I was really getting it all that much. And I think maybe... That was because of the prior match also was going on. Um, mm-hmm. It did pick up after the break. And I got to say that I agree with your placement of when the inner circle should have been. Um, I actually thought it was kind of nice that they showed up while things were still kind of not as exciting yet. But you are right. They could have been. Um, uh, that dive that Grayson did blew me. Like, that's when I really got back in. I, that woke me up in the match. Yeah, it was real um, unexpected. Oh my goodness. Um, I I thought this was solid for what it was. Uh, it definitely couldn't overshadow the previous match. I would give this three and a quarter star first. Okay, yeah, we're real close on this one. I went three and a half. Uh, and Grapple, 3.1. So we're in the ballpark, mm-hmm. it feels like. Uh, I may have been a little bit high. Maybe I was a little bit higher on this show than, than, than Grapple was, but... Uh, I thought this may have been, so spoiler for the rest of the show, I feel like this might be the best episode of TV they've done from like an in-ring quality, but 
they had more than just in ring on this show uh, that I thought were home runs. Uh, during the picture-in-picture break, Cody is shown arriving to the arena, and Joey Janela's entrance begins during the break as well. Uh, coming back in from the break, they show a lot of clips of Joey Janela being killed in his various Lights Out matches uh, <laughs> with uh, John Moxley and Kenny Omega, and that leads to Joey Janela and Kenny Omega. Uh, I made a note here that for some reason, when Kenny Omega came out, the AEW Dark logo was behind him on the video I screen. Too. I don't know what was <laughs> happening here. Uh, whoops. Uh, they show clips of Kenny Omega winning the AAA Mega Championship in a match that I heard was really fantastic against Phoenix. So I'm going to try to seek that out. But I, I heard that was fantastic, and they acknowledged the championship win here. Uh, real good back and forth, trading shots and momentum early on. Janela hits this huge crossbody to the floor. Uh, no picture-in-picture break. So they come back, and Kenny Omega is making his comeback. He hits some snapdragons, but Joey hits him with a snap German, which I think was supposed to go into the bottom turnbuckle, but they were a little too far out, and Kenny just lands awkwardly on the, the corner of the mat, just right in front of the turnbuckle. Uh, snap, uh, some more snap dragons and a V trigger for a two count. Uh, there's a great exchange, uh, a strike exchange between the two of them, including maybe one of the loudest chops I've ever heard from Kenny Omega on Joey Janela. And uh, he goes to suplex Janela, but Janela instead hits him with a fisherman buster for a two. Janela hits this big, like, he does this ultimate warrior charge-up where he hits the ropes a bunch of times and then just kills Kenny with this big clothesline for a two. Uh, then Janela uh, tries to cash in by going for a senton off the top rope onto Kenny Omega on the apron, but Omega moves, so empty pool there for Janela, and Omega hits the V-trigger and the one-winged angel for the win. What did you think of Joey and Kenny? And I think this was the match where they were really trying to promote that Janela is not just a deathmatch guy. Uh, he can carry his own uh, in a straight-up pro wrestling match. Uh, so what did you think of uh, Janela and Omega? I thought it was good. Uh, the only real negative I have on it is that it felt kind of rushed um, in mm-hmm. the sense that we didn't get the picture-in-picture for this, this match. Like, I guess the previous match was so hyped up that you would think that this be a man to get that treatment. Yeah. Um, I love the spot where Janela's getting thrown off the uh, the top rope and he just sticks it with a landing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Arms out. That was fantastic. Um, I love the sell that he had when he got hit with that V-trigger. Just Oh, where he's <laughs> just like is laying on the middle rope with his arms outstretched, just dangling there, dead. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. Uh, so I was a big fan of this match. I gave it three and a half stars. Um, I want to guys get a bigger. Mm-hmm. Me too. They've been. Yeah. We're real close on this one as well. I went three and three quarters and grapple on the nose. 3.5. So you and you and grapple simpatico there, like just thinking the same thoughts. Uh, Cody Rhodes promo. He's in the ring with Tony Schiavone. He says that he has a big announcement to make in relation to his career going forward. Uh, But then, noise occurs, Nick. It's the inner circle. And bad news. 
they forgot they were in an AEW show and for a moment thought they were at a CZW show as they have a bunch of air horns that are just making a lot of annoying racket. Uh, Cody says that this isn't WWE. There's no, well, he doesn't say WWE, but he, he hints that this is not WWE. There's no invisible wall between them and he can just go up there and beat his ass. Jericho calls him on his bluff. Uh, Cody thinks better of it, noting that it is four on one. But then Dustin Rhodes comes out, as does MJF, who gets a crazy reaction. And Jericho mocks MJF's scarf. He says, who would wear a scarf to the ring? Uh, awesome. And then DDP comes out. And then I realize it's it's the Nightmare family. It's the It's Cody's... Cody's friends, his brother, his best friend, and DDP, who apparently is like a, a mentor of sorts to, to Cody. Uh, and he comes out. Um, I would like to note, for the record, that when DDP walks by MJF, MJF looks at the camera and does the upside-down diamond cutter, which, of course, is a, a deep-cut reference to the film Royal... Uh, to the What is that? Ready to Rumble. Ready to Rumble. Uh, and uh, MJF also winks at the camera when he does that. I like that MJF <laughs> subtly does these things to remind you that he's really a heel. Um, I think it's tremendous. And yes. uh, Team Cody runs them off. And by runs them off, I mean they run into like a locked door in their, their private booth. Uh, but Cody grabs MJF's a scarf wraps around his fist and punches through the glass door like he's Goldberg. And then they open the door and a huge brawl ensues. They fight into the concourse garbage strewn everywhere. Uh, they almost destroy dipping dots. Uh, a, just a giant brawl ensues and security has to separate them. Jericho is screaming that they have tickets. He's holding his tickets up in the air. Um, and at first I'm like, this is just seems crazy. But later, it, it plays into things. There's a note that's made later. I thought this was a, a crazy scene. I thought a, a, another great angle they've done leading into this Jericho-Cody match for the AEW Championship. I'm really excited for this match, Nick. What did you think of this angle? I thought it was awesome. It's just some good old-fashioned garbage rust stuff. Like, just falling yeah, everywhere. This felt like something off of an old Raw or Nitro, for sure. Exactly, and I, I never expected myself to care this much about Cody and Jericho, but they got me excited. Yeah, it was hilarious. Uh, the The only thing I'll say again that uh, bugs me about it was this whole segment cut off the ending of Janela and uh, and uh, Omega. Like it looked like Omega was going to go talk to Janela in the ring. It kind of cuts away so they can do promos and other stuff. So yeah, it's. It's a great show, but man, just things were going by so quick. Yeah, they the whole time, but... they packed in so much for this episode. It was really crazy. Um, we come back uh, during the picture-in-picture break. Best friends enter, uh, which is a shame because I would have loved to hear the uh, ovation for Orange Cassidy. It, it's always uh, a curiosity for me to hear how uh, how people react to Orange Cassidy, but... Uh, based on what happened in this match, uh, 
I would say people seem to really like Orange Cassidy. It's best friends against Young Bucks. Um, the Young Bucks were was, not. Uh, oh, what's that? There was a there was a special sti- sit. Excuse me. There was a special stipulation. If you paid attention to Twitter, um, Chuck Taylor said that if he won this matchup, he was going to say shit in the middle of the ring. Oh, <laughs> no one can stop him. <laughs> That's right. I fucking love Chuck Taylor on Twitter. Uh, he's awesome all the time, but yeah, I saw that one. That was especially hilarious. I love that. He's like, if we win this match, I'm going to say shit in the middle of the ring and nobody can do anything about it. (laughs) He's awesome. Uh, so young bucks are coming out. They do their pose and orange Cassidy just walks up into the middle of their pose and standing there. And the bucks are not in the mood to play around. They just lost in the first round of the tag team championship tournament that they should have been, they, they should have won. And they are instead in what is essentially the losers bracket match here. And they shove, they shove orange Cassidy. I note here, orange Cassidy returns the favor with vicious super kicks to the young bucks, but they shake it off and super kick orange Cassidy instead, which the crowd booed, uh, kind of basic early on with the young bucks in control and then the Young Bucks do the best friends hug, and they even do the camera shot, the uh, the Okada, the Okada zoom out uh, for the Young Bucks hug. the The fans also not a fan of this. I note here that the Bucks are a little heelish right now. Uh, best friends take control of the match, and then I note here that the match seems to screech to a halt going into the break. It just seemed like kind of a listless, aimless match, and the crowd seemed really tired uh, as they headed into the break. Uh, coming back from the break, and they're going back and forth. Uh, the best friends get their hug in. Orange Cassidy does a hands-in-the-pocket dive off of the top rope, which I note here was not a DQ or an ejection, so that was a bit weird. Uh, they go for the strong zero, but it gets broken up by a Nick Jackson swanton bomb. Uh, best friends go for the doomsday knee on Matt, but Matt lands on his feet. A super kick party ensues, and the Bucks hit more bang for your buck for the win. I thought the match really picked up uh, after the break. Uh, what did you think of Best Friends and Young Bucks? I was going to tell you, there is a reason for why he didn't get ejected. Um, after the hug, they pulled the ref in and pulling him off to the side so he couldn't see Orange Cast. I'm pretty certain. Oh, that is that what happened? See go down? Yeah. Okay, I thought maybe the ref wasn't distracted. So that makes sense. I'll have to go back and look. But if that is the case, I retract my uh, my my odd statement of the Orange Cassidy dive. And by the way, yeah, I just but... loved Tony Schiavone's reaction to Orange Cassidy. he's like who's this weird cat Uh, I just love the Orange Cassidy Tony Schiavone stuff and I thought Tony Schiavone was awesome uh, all night he just seems to like Jim Ross feels like uh, somebody had posted like a a really funny meme of like I really love this new AEW announced team and it was Excalibur in between like the two grumpy old critics from the Muppet show uh, and Tony Schiavone's like, this is hilarious. Uh, JR really does feel like the grumpy old man who doesn't like these, you know. He's like, why can't they make video games like Pong? That's when video games were real video games, not like these newfangled games. I don't care for them. Uh, he comes across <laughs> like that an awful lot on this show. Uh, Excalibur is like the cool kid who knows that this stuff is cool, and Tony Schiavone is just happy to be calling wrestling again. 
that isn't like ridiculously dumb. Uh, <laughs> he's just so happy to be calling this show. Uh, I know you can really see it in his voice too. He's just having the best time. Yeah. It makes the commentary better for it. At like, one yeah, point he stuff. just exclaims, I love the suicida. And there's like, <laughs> just a quiet. And he's like, I do, man. That's <laughs> what he responds with. <laughs> Uh, uh, so yeah, continue your thoughts on best friends and, and young bucks. And of course what you gave it as well. It was pretty good match. I mean, I, I think one of the best parts of the match was Nick countering that doomsday knee and they oh, started super kicking everybody. That was great. That was beautiful. Uh, it's nice to see him break out the more bang for your buck. And, uh, I gave this, I gave this one three and a half stars. Okay. Uh, I went three and a quarter, so again we're right in the right in the ballpark. And grapple three point four four, so they're kind of a teensy bit in between the both of us here, but in the same ballpark. I re- I agree with you. I really like them using more bang for your buck. Uh, the more people win with a variety of moves, the better, because that just creates more opportunities for great false finishes for later matches. Uh, if you can, uh, if you can establish a bunch of different moves as finishers, I think that's really smart. Uh, after the match, Young Bucks accept Jericho's challenge to them on behalf of Santana and Ortiz. So that match is official for full gear. Uh, they do a Brit, a, a really good Brit Baker personality profile. She comes off like really likable. She's not, she doesn't have like super charisma. But she doesn't come off like a robot or like a block of wood either. She just comes off like a normal, nice person, which is okay. Uh, we then get a... Uh, oh, we get the uh, the Britt Baker versus Jamie Hayter match. And the announcers make sure to note to not only tie in why these two are having a match, but why... Uh, uh, for future reference, why Jamie Hayter is not going to get squashed here by Britt Baker. They note that she is B. Priestley's partner in stardom. So this ties in to the B. Priestley-Britt Baker feud. Uh, so they are in Pittsburgh, which they go out of their way to note is Britt's hometown. And Britt comes out here, and she's got, like, Pittsburgh Steelers-themed gear. She comes out with the Pittsburgh Steelers mascot. She gets a huge ovation. Uh, I think I saw like, uh, I think it was maybe Dave Meltzer on Twitter who was like, could you imagine if WWE had done this for Bailey in like San Diego? And I believe all of the responses were no. Uh, if you watch WWE, good guys don't win in their hometown. <laughs> I don't know why. Cause you think it's just the easiest thing in the world to do, but that's not what happened. She gets a big ovation. Uh, they have a strike exchange uh, early on. Hater hits her with a suplex into the corner. The crowd chants Britsburg uh, at her. There's a picture-in-picture break where Jamie Hater controlled the whole break. Uh, she also so there was the Marcos. There was the uh, the Pentagon Marco stunt spot last week in the picture-in-picture where he one hand gorilla pressed him into a super kick. That might have been the best picture-in-picture spot of the year, but Jamie Hayter with a close second as she puts Britt Baker in a camel clutch and gives her a wet willy in the camel clutch. (laughs) Vicious move. Uh, 
And of course, Britt Baker is a dentist, Nick, not a not an ear doctor. So there's no way to combat this. Uh, <laughs> they come back from the break, and Britt makes a comeback. They go back and forth for a bit. Britt hits the super kick, hits a cutter, uh, hits a spinning neckbreaker for a two. Uh, she super kicks Jamie again and puts her in the lockjaw, which the crowd was very excited for, and she got the win. Uh, this match was not actually that good. This is kind of a common refrain here for the AEW women's matches thus far. Uh, Jamie Hayter actually looked better than Britt did in this match, but Britt is very new to wrestling. I think she's only got a couple of years experience. Uh, this match, once again, completely carried on the back of the crowd who was just happy and the good guy won the match. Uh, all I can think about, Nick, though, is that they're just going to be kicking themselves next week when they realize how much heat they could have gotten on Jamie Hayter for beating Britt Baker in her hometown. Boy, they'd, they'd have so much heat. <laughs> well, I'm happy Britt won. Uh, I didn't think the match was all that good, but the crowd saved it for the most part and made it uh, watchable. Definitely the weakest match on the show. Uh, what were your thoughts and what did you give it? I agree with that. I think it was also the week of the card. Uh, for me, I'd be going all in on Rio at this point because I know they're trying to make Britt uh, the face of the division, basically. But mm-hmm. um, She's got a ways I, to I go. Mean, exactly. In the ring, mostly. I mean, otherwise, she's likable. I mean, she looks great. and But in the ring, it just it isn't where it's at. Yeah, I think I give this one about two and a quarter. What I... Yeah, I, I went... Uh... I went two and three quarters, and that's on the crowd elevation side of things. Uh, I mean, she's she's definitely got a lot of room to grow. Like, I can see what they see in her. The big mm-hmm. question is, um, I don't know if she's doing any independence. I don't imagine she is. Uh, and they're only doing one show a week. I'm not sure how she's going to improve a whole lot only wrestling one show a week when you're only a couple of years into the business. Like for, for like the big stars, for the guys who uh, have been wrestling for years and years and years, I would imagine that this particular schedule is very appealing to them and isn't going to affect them much at all. It'll probably be even better for their careers, but for people starting out, like you've got to get a lot of experience. Uh, I just don't know if this is the, the right path uh, for her. I'm not, I, so we'll see how she uh, progresses as time goes on. Uh, like I said, I gave it two and three quarters. Grapple 2.35. So a little bit closer to you, uh, Nick, than me. But again, seemingly uh, in the same ballpark. Or at least uh, you know that's how it feels. Uh, I should note that uh, yes, we usually I usually do mention AEW Dark on here, but I thought this this week's episode of AEW Dark was pretty throwaway. I don't know if you even watched it, Nick. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was mostly throwaway. There was a a particularly not good Nyla Rose Leva Bates match, uh, in which and actually it was Leva Bates who looked not so good in that match. Uh, and then there was like a, it was private party in T-Hawk and Shima against Cody and Dustin and the Young Bucks, which I thought would have been an amazing match, but instead they actually had like a dark match match where they, you know, had some fun, did some comedy, did some, 
you know, spots and stuff. Like it was, it was, it was good. Like, I think I gave it like a three, but not the blow away that I thought it was going to be when I saw it on paper. Uh, so yeah, not much to note for AEW dark. Although this week's AEW dark, uh, features a three way between Jack Evans, Darby Allen and Jimmy Havoc, uh, and which I believe plunder is legal. I believe, uh, and I know there's a women's four-way match and there's another match off the top of my head that it, Oh, there's a tag team match with, uh, Peter Avalon and QT Marshall against Dustin Rhodes and Sonny kiss. Uh, so yeah, that's the AEW dark stuff for this week. Uh, they plug the tag team title match, uh, for next week. They replay the, the Cody Jericho brawl. They note that Cody is now in a holding facility on campus as Jericho was, in fact, a ticket holder and uh, the talent cannot attack fans, which Jericho technically was as he bought a ticket. So Cody had to be taken to uh, a holding facility on campus. So I thought that was a a logical, smart move uh, they made. Uh, Then some weird shit happens, Nick. They cut backstage... Uh, where Jamie Hayter is about to be interviewed, and then Brandy attacks her. And then she just mean mugs the the interviewer. <laughs> just, I, I don't even know what this was. What was this? I have no idea. She was just pointing her finger at the interviewer. Britting her really teeth? Mad. Yeah. <laughs> is Brandy a heel all of a sudden? Like, what's happening? And if Brandy's a heel, Jamie Hayter's a heel. Right. What is going on? And Brandy was with Cody like the last couple weeks and she was good. What the fuck is this? This doesn't make any sense and I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> luckily, we cut to something that does make sense. Our main event, John Moxley against the Bastard, Pack. Uh, and during Moxley's entrance, Pack blindsides him with a steel chair on the ramp. And uh, the crowd is chanting, you're a bastard. I mean, Pac knows that. Like, he put it in his Twitter handle. He knows. Uh, and Moxley wants to fight, tells the, tells the ref to start the match, uh, but Pac is easily in control. Every now and again, Mox will try to fight back, but clearly isn't all there, and Pac re- resumes you know, momentum again. They go into a picture-in-picture break where Pac is, again, in control the whole time. When they come back, Moxley starts to make his comeback. They have a great strike exchange. Moxley hits a suicide dive, hits the regal knee, and locks in a clover leaf. But Pac gets to the rope. Uh, Pac hits Moxley with an avalanche falcon's arrow for a two. He hits Moxley with a 450 off the apron to the floor. He goes for the black arrow, but misses. Moxley hits the paradigm shift, but by, uh, oh, but Pac kicks out, and shortly after kicking out, the bell rings as TV time has expired. Ending the match in a draw. Moxley is furious. He gives referee Paul Turner the paradigm shift. And that is how the show goes off the air. Uh, what did you think of Moxley and Pack as the main event? And then I can talk about quickly what happened on the, uh, the Fight TV feed. Because the show did not end for people watching Fight TV. I'm here about that. Um, I thought this was cool. Um, although I, as the show was going on, I kept feeling that feeling of dread that what's going to happen with, uh, Mox Pac and it, 
I'm I'm bummed that this is how it had to end, but it makes sense. I felt weird that they're gonna give lose match. Uh, you know, I think a draw is better than some BS where Pac's just DQ, yeah, and further ruin his record. I don't see that either. Yeah. So I thought it was fine. I thought it was a creative way to kind of get out of giving the match. Um, it builds excitement for when we're going to see these guys eventually have a one down the line. Um, mm-hmm. I gave it three and a quarter. Okay. Uh, yeah, I thought this was a real good main event too. Uh, I like that they, they set up the, the story uh, for the match, which, you know, we talked about it earlier. You can do matches where the story is just who's going to win, uh, and you can sometimes add extra layers. And I'm good with all of it, and that's what they did here. They added a layer to their storytelling in this match with Pac blindsiding uh, Moxley with a chair and Moxley trying to get his feet uh, and trying to stay in the match. Uh, I loved doing the... Honestly, I really liked doing the draw. Uh, again, if you're going to treat it like a sport, even though it's a fake sport, uh, the most popular sport in America is football, and that has draws in it. Teams can tie. Uh, the most popular sport in the world is the other football, a.k.a. soccer in the United States, and that has ties regularly. Uh, so having draws, I think, is smart. I think it's better than doing, you know, bullshit DQs or screw job finishes. Uh, you know, it shows that these people are on equal footing, that one could not beat the other. Uh, you know, I think in this case, it shows that Pack, even giving himself the advantage, couldn't get past Moxley. And Moxley had a hill to climb and almost beat Pack as a result of it. Uh, I thought... It works on on several levels, and it saves, uh, you know, if done rarely, uh, it saves putting two people in a match where you don't want either of them to lose. Uh, It saves that, and it also establishes that time limits are a legit thing. There's only ever been two of them in AEW, Uh, but I think both of them did their jobs in establishing points that, uh, that they made by doing them. Uh, and I thought this was a pretty good match. I gave it three and a half. So I thought this was a, a good a good ender to the show. Uh, Grapple gave it 3.51. So pretty, pretty close. Everybody's pretty close on this one. And after the show on Fight, uh, I'm not sure if they're... They probably will show this on AEW Dark on Tuesday, I would imagine as well. But on Fight, the feed comes back in. And Pack attacks Moxley from behind and grabs a chair, and he's going to try to do like the the pilmanizer on Moxley, but he puts it around his neck. And Kenny Omega comes out to scare off Pack, and Omega's going to hit. He teases hitting Moxley with the chair, but Pack comes back into the ring, and Hangman Page comes in to run off Pack. And then Paige makes a challenge to the bastard for full gear. So another, uh, looks like another match uh, is going to be signed for that show as well. So, yeah, just a ridiculously jam-packed show that they tried to fit everything into and couldn't quite fit everything into. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, I thought it was a, a real good episode of TV this week. 
before we uh, before we sign off, let's thank the good people over at Think Geek for sponsoring the show. Cinemageekly.com slash thinkgeek. Uh, head on over there for some geeky collectibles and apparel. That's cinemageekly.com slash thinkgeek. Or click the support us link in the show notes for this episode. While you're over at Cinema Geekly, head on over there to check out the archives of this show. And, of course, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Just search for The Elitists and hit subscribe. And that way you can hear us come back next week and talk about more AEW on TNT featuring SCU versus the Lucha Brothers for the AEW World Tag Team Championship. <laughs>